Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. My name is Kevin Tarka. I am the founder of Creation Talent Agency, and I will be releasing a new podcast every single day for an entire year that is specifically designed to share the inevitable challenges of the sports business world and how to overcome them. I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today, we're talking with head coach of the Newcastle Eagles, Ian McLeod. And for those who are less familiar, the Newcastle Eagles play in the BBL in the United Kingdom, which is the first division there. Uh, Coach McLeod was a longtime assistant with the club before Coach Fabulous joined Nick Nurse's staff at the Toronto Raptors two years ago. And when that happened, um, he got the the well-deserved reins of, uh, of the club. So welcome, Ian. Thank you very much for having me, Kevin. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk UK hoops with you, um, but I want to start by telling the listeners a little bit more about kind of your coaching journey to get to where you are, because I think a lot of times people will hear about the grind that players go through to, to, to go up the ranks, but, you know, you have quite the experience with that club and really, you know, earning your way up the ranks as well yourself. So, so tell me a little bit about that transition and about going from assistant coach to, to taking the lead. Um, I think the first thing to say is we obviously we have the club system over here a little bit different to the state. So a player or a coach in our club could could start at six years old and work all the way through and stay in that same program. So for me, before I got the head coach's job, I was 18 years with the club. Um, at 18 years old, I came in as a coach and I was I was literally doing community sessions, bag of basketballs on the back, going to a school, taking the bus usually leaving the basketballs on the bus, you know. Uh, I was doing all that type of stuff. And then it went on to sort of running my own club, like a junior club. And then it got into our academy, 10 years or 11 years with our academy. Then six years as assistant and with about four days notice head coach after that. And this is the second year. So, yeah, I've really seen the club from every level. Um, obviously playing before that within the club structure as well. But, yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey. That's awesome. I remember you telling me when we were speaking earlier in the year, you, you told me the story about the phone call that you got and you were like, I mean, you were basically like, all right, well, it looks like I'm going a different direction or I'm ready to go somewhere else. And then you got a phone call. What, what, what was that like? So um, the previous coach, Fab Flanoy, he was, he was, he's big friends with Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse signed him as a player um, into, in the UK. So they developed a relationship and held that for a long time when Nick coached over here. Um so Fab had been going over for summer leagues for a couple of years, and we kind of knew eventually Nick was going to find a spot for him on his staff. Um, he came back last summer and said, it's not going to be this year. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, you know, For whatever reason, Nick just didn't have the space on the bench, whatever it was. Um, and then two days later, this is late August, two days later, or actually I got a contract sent over last night, and I'm going. I'm going. I'm going in three days. Um, and at that point, our players arrived five days later. We would all already recruited we already had them in um they were flying in in five four five days um and that was it thrust into the thrust into the head seat um so not not really any prep to be honest there was no prep i wasn't i was building for a season as an assistant coach potentially um i was maybe thinking about um what was next for me um i'd been there six years as the assistant and i think if, if i hadn't got the head coach's job i was probably going to move away um not out of, you know, not of why well, I think I should have this job and I'm leaving. It was kind of just, well, okay, what's next? You know, you need to right. keep moving forward. Well, yeah, it worked out. We're in year two now. So 
um, yeah, it all worked out for the best. That's great. And then, so take me through some of the roles and responsibilities you have as a head coach and maybe the difference from the assistant coach obviously depends on where you are, whether you're in the NBA, the G league overseas, which country on how many assistants you have. So, um, you know, what are some of the roles that you take on as a head coach and what are some of the roles that you delegate to your assistants? Well, the first thing you said there is you've used the plural and there is no plural. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> I have one assistant, um, a guy called Mark Eldigan, and he's, he, he's a head coach in his own right at a lower level. So he's actually only able to commit one, one practice a week and match there. Um, now, th- th- this is probably the biggest thing that I need to address moving forward is I need more. I need more support for that. Um, so that's not, by any, that's not by any means normal or the regular way of doing things. So... To be honest, delegation is not really a word I use. There's so much. There's so much that I, I prefer to be hands-on in anyway. Um, I'm not someone who can kick a job to someone else and just forget about it until it comes back, whether it's done or not. So I, I, I don't know. You probably call it trust issues, <laughs> but uh, do a lot. You know, from everything from scout reports to video reviews. Um, the one thing I do have, we've got a veteran player by the name of Drew Lasker, who in, in the summer, he's from Texas. Um and he's a trainer in the summer. So what we do do is he works um, player development. Um, but other than that, the the, the administration, the preparation, um, it's, it's I pretty much take it all on myself, to be honest. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you caught me on that because that's one thing that a lot of players, I think, are unfamiliar with. They're used to coming from college where they got six assistants and a couple of player developments and, you know, the trainer and the, and, and the team manager. But when you go overseas, it's... Uh, it's, it's not, not much of that, you know, it's a head coach and maybe you're lucky you get an assistant or two. So very cool. All right. I, I want to jump into the UK um, and, and what basketball is like there. And, and so can you give maybe the listeners a little bit of an overview on, on the league and, and, and maybe how many imports you're allowed and the types of players that are there? Yeah. So we're on, um, we're currently on 11 teams in the top league. We have BBL, which is the top league that, that, that we compete in. We also have NBL, which is National Basketball League, and that has divisions one, two, three, and four. Um, NBL one is you get some pro guys in there, some semi pros, and then NBL two to four, it's kind of it's not pro basketball really. It's it's, it's something different to that. Um, for us, we can have at the moment we can have four imports. Now the import slots are basically guys who need visas. So you're talking about Americans, Canadian, Canadians, uh, Africans, Australians. Um, that's that, that's your import slot. And for the next 30 days, we can have um, Bosman A, that they're called, which is um, European Union players. So France, Italy, Netherlands, Germany, that type of thing. Um, if you're up on your global news, Brexit is just about to occur and Britain are about to leave the EU. When that happens, um, European players will be treated the same as uh, Americans and Canadians and all those. So they'll be import players as well. So next season, I imagine we'll probably just go to five non-Brits, is what I predict. Um, so yeah, we're we're four currently four EU, sorry, one EU, four US is 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 really what most teams do. And and so what what's the type of player? It obviously depends on the style of play and the team. But what what's the type of player that's an import that usually succeeds in 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 your league? Um, it is a guard oriented league, or it has been for a lot of years. So I mean, we've had a we, we do get a surprisingly high caliber of player. I think people sometimes assume that, you know, in the UK, we're just over here, you know, in, in top hat and monocles and eating cucumber sandwiches and having tea. But uh, we do actually get a good, a good level of player. So, um, so right now we've got a, we've got Rex Fluger and Rex was captain of Notre Dame, you know, playing in the ACC. 
Um, we've had a guy uh, called Scott Martin, who was actually also for Notre Dame captain um, for a few years. Uh, we had a guy called Jay Sean Page, who was uh, he was six man at West Virginia. Yeah. He's been to the G League since. So we do get a high caliber of player. Um, traditionally, scoring guards, you know, ones and twos, you generally bring in imports at the one and two slot. And um, in the past, it's kind of either been a four or a five. Um, the league's changed in the past few years where it used to be kind of the mold was to have sort of a six, eight, maybe six, nine center who was active and scoring. In the last few years, we've seen the emergence of, or the re-emergence of sort of six, 10, seven foot guys, jet prop, real post players. That's kind of come back. Um, it's certainly the first thing I look for um, was to get, you know, two posts. Um, so yeah, it's kind of changing. It's becoming a little bit more, a little bit more European style, I would say. I mean, in recent years, we've been far closer to American style of play. So there is a little bit of a shift happening. Um, for me personally, it's it's IQ guys. Um, find the guys who can read the game. You know, I don't just want to see their highlights. I want to see their lowlights as well. When do they struggle? Um, and then the balance is, do you go for a guy who's, let's say he's been at a big program, um, you know, high major or something like that, NCAA, who hasn't played much? Or do you take the guy maybe mid-major who's played a little bit more? And there's a balancing act there as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and I know you talked a little bit about it right there about what you look for. But when you're when you're analyzing guys, you know, what, what, what are some of the skills you think that translate? Um, obviously, it depends on the level of play they are here in the States, but uh, and, and what position. But let's just say let's say a score. Let's take a scoring guard. I mean, what are some of those skills that you think translate that you really look for in film or or off the court that are like game changers or red flags for you? Yeah, I mean, the red flags, that's a phrase we use a lot. And the first thing is social media. Do the search. It's very, very easy. You know, search Google, search social media, and things come up. Um, so the character is just as, just as important as the player. You know, the person is just as important as the player. As far as on-court goes, if it's a scoring guard, I want to know what they're doing off-ball. Is it the type of guy who has the ball in his hands, then figures out what he needs to do? Does he need to go 1v1 for 10 seconds to get a shot off? Or can he come off a screen? Can we just create a quick closeout situation and then, then he's in one v one or is he more, you know, he needs the ball in his hands for longer. Um, and the same thing defensively. Can he defend his guy? Okay, obviously that we're looking for that. But what's he doing off ball? Can he stop his guy from catching it? Is he difficult to screen? Can he defeat screens? Um, can he predict actions? How's his communication? Um, and the things I really stay away from are highlight tips, um, box scores. You know, you've got to find the stuff that's not, not the obvious. Yeah, it's it's so easy to to judge a player off of. Uh, and one thing that I do, I, and I'm sure it's kind of the unwritten rule in basketball, I think, is that you can't get too high, can't get too low. So you see a guy that scores 40 points a game uh, for two games in a row. And it's like, wow, he just had crazy games. But you forget maybe it's a preseason game against, uh, you know, a division one versus division three or something like that. So I think players need to keep that in conversation or in, in the front of their mind as well. Um, yeah. So so I want to I want to talk a little bit more about Newcastle and like what what's made because you, you know you, you see a lot that Newcastle is basically one of the the or one of the most successful clubs uh, with with the, history the. the there you go there you go yeah I saw a couple <laughs> different articles that that contradicted that so but uh, let's hear from the man himself so what what's made it what's made it so so successful and and maybe you can tell a little bit more about like the facilities and what players experience when they go through um, you know when they're a part of a part of your uh, your club I think that the one word that sort of encompasses it all is stability. The club is a stable club. It's well run. Um, you know, we have, we have players returning year on year um, and they want to come back. And it, they aren't, they're not wanting to come back because they can't get another job. 
they can move on they can probably get more money they're coming back because of the environment we create um you know yes we have our own facility you know which is a seven and a half million pound arena um, it's ours we own it um you know so we have everything we need right there weight room we have full staff and support you know our physio staff and medical staff are excellent the apartments you know their city center apartments they're brand new um they're nicely located you know we're doing all those types of things well and we genuinely care about players now every club's going to say that but the proof is in the pudding for us that we return players players want to be back here and we have that good reputation i think when when your players are comfortable with what they're how they're being treated and they're valued that makes practice so much easier um because th there's a lot of games that have been lost and it's got nothing to do with basketball it's because a guy's got an issue off the court or there's something else so the stability the club provides, I think, has really, um, has really allowed us a platform to, to, to be successful. I love that word, actually, stability. And that's that's basically sums up a lot of things that, I, that I'll tell players is because when you start getting into the overseas, we've, we've talked about this at length, but when you get into the overseas markets, it's like, why do you choose to go take a job in this market for, for $1,500 a month versus turn down a $4,000 a month job? Well, stability. Are you going to get to practice and no one shows up? Are there going to be young players that don't care about it? Does a coach speak English? You know, do they do they have physio? Right. Are you going to, is it going to be miserable to go to practice every single day? So I think that's, it, I think personally, go ahead. It's also like some leagues you can't even find video for. Right. You know, someone said, Oh, I scored uh, you know, I scored this many points. I'm like, I can't find stats. I can't find video. So sorry. Like, it seems to like there's, if you take like, there's so many guys who are scored 25 in Luxembourg. seems like everyone does, you know, <laughs> two, two ports, they get all their numbers and it's like, you can't really judge much. You know, so it's also about what's a league that what's the progression. Look, look back for those guys who are thinking about going to leagues. Look back and see where players go next. You know, how, where do they move on to? You know, are they moving sideways or down? Or are they moving up and progressing? It's a conversation that's easy, easy, I think, to understand on the other side, but how difficult for players to understand because they'll say, OK, well, you know, my my boy just signed in the second division of Luxembourg or the second division of Georgia and he just got a contract. All right. Well, talk to me in about 12 to 16 months when they're back home. You know, it's tough and nothing against those leagues. Like it's great opportunity, but you have to understand the long-term process. So, and then let's get into the last, I know we've been jumping around. The last topic I want to talk about is, is just the kind of the future of, of, of UK basketball. And, and another topic we've talked about at length of, well, you know, why, I think they've done such a great job of improving the last three to four to five years with the, with the talent that you, that you've been able to bring in there. Um, but what, why is, why is it almost a half step behind or what can you got, what can UK basketball do outside of just offering more money to bring in more talented players to be like a, let's say a sexy destination or a stepping stone for the high level leagues after that. I think the first thing is you can't offer more money without generating more money. Um, there's all conception that oh the clubs only pay this but it, i mean don't get me wrong it's not bad wages it's good um but they pay what they can afford no one's no one's making money no one's becoming a millionaire from owning a club in the bbl you know whatever they generate goes back into the team um so that's the first conversation you know we've just got a deal with um sky sports which is a national tv um station here in, in the uk and um, which makes us a lot more visual um what we need to do really is we we look after the fans currently. So last year, every game was on YouTube. So let's say a team has 5,000 fans who can all log in and watch on YouTube. Great. But how are we attracting the new fans? Because if you don't know anything about UK basketball, you're not going to go on YouTube and search British basketball and watch a game. It was how do we find the new fans? And now with us having that TV deal, we're going to get people who are just flicking through the channels and come across British basketball. 
Um, and that's how we grow. We get those new fans in. Um, I think the next step, which will, which, will, uh, which will be a byproduct of that, is just the education of the people around the game. Um, a lot of the times you might be you know, listening to a, a podcast or, or watching a game where there's a commentator from the country and they'll say something that's very, very footballish or soccer, as you guys call it. You know, it's, <laughs> they need to feel for the game. And I think that's important as well. You know, small things like in basketball, we talk about feet and inches. We just do. It's an American game. And they'll talk about creating a yard of space. You're like, okay, so you like football, we know that. Um, so just little things like that, and just in, in just making basketball and its terminology and the culture with it making a little bit more household um, and a bit more visual for everyone out there. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and 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 I think uh, you know also, which obviously isn't helping this year, but continuing that grassroots grassroots development, getting the players like the import players into the into the communities, and obviously it's more difficult now, but. Uh, no, I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, and, and I told you this before, I think the UK is, is, has a very bright future. It's, it's, you know, it can, once you get a TV deal going here, you get a couple more kind of imports in and, and, and get a, get a lot more people from the States and around Europe watching the game and understand mm-hmm. that there's really talented players there. I think it's got a lot of room to grow. So that's awesome, man. Well, we like to keep these short and sweet. This was amazing. I appreciate you coming on. I want to end with one, one thing I like to call, I call it a sports business lightning round. So I'm just going to fire a couple of questions at you and you just got to hit me with the first thing that comes to your mind okay all right here we go favorite color red most points you've ever scored in a game in your life are we talking about as a player or as a coach as a, as a player jesus like 22 that wasn't <laughs> i'm playing defense <laughs> nice mj or lebron mj coolest city in the world you've been to wow that's tough i love new york what's your biggest strength Preparation. What's something that you're really bad at? Standing in touch. Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life? Uh, my dad, who's a coach himself. Um, a guy called Alan Keane, who was um, a, a coach in the UK. And third one, um, i got to say, Fabulous Flournoy, ex-coach of the Eagles. Great. What was your first ever job? Washing dishes in St. James's Park, which is the football stadium for Newcastle United. Amazing. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Um, can I see a time travel? Yeah. Superpower? Yeah, that's yeah, that's great. Uh, and I got a couple more here. Who would you like to trade jobs with for one week if you could trade jobs with anyone in any industry? I'm not going to see a Kevin Talker. Um... <laughs> well, that would be a great one, and that would be a first, but I'll let you say another <laughs> one. Trade jobs with? I'd trade jobs with my starting point guard, Ramon Fletcher. Why is that? Let's just see it from the other side. Why not? Nice. All right. I like it. I like it. And last one, if you could turn back time and talk to 18-year-old Ian, what would you tell him? Um, be more selfish. Be streamlined. Focus on what you want. Stop doing, stop doing 20 different things. Focus on a couple. Love that. Amazing, man. Great stuff. Well, you passed the test with flying colors. This was great. I hope the <laughs> listeners were taking notes because there's some great uh, gems in here about uh, UK basketball. And hopefully I'll be able to get over the water soon and come, come catch a game in person, man. I appreciate you coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling really crazy, you can even share it on social media. 
As always, if there's a topic you want me to talk about further or a guest you would love to hear on the podcast, just shoot me a message on social media at Kevin Tarka. Thanks again, and I'll see you here tomorrow morning on Sports Business Secrets.